Perv. Slut. Wow! I hate myself. Perv. Slut. Don't make this fun! Perv. Slut. The Sexhibition. Perv. This is the Fleabag Research Project. I'm Yana Rankov, and I'll be your host. Oh, you got me. I don't carry a vagina around with me. <laughs> That'd be way too provocative. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is episode three of the Fleabag Research Project. I'm Yana Rankov, and this is my project, and I'm here with my friend Charlotte Hersey. Hi there. Hi. Thank you so much, Char, for coming on the podcast today. And I have an initial question, which is just how would you describe your relationship with the show, with Fleabag? I I really enjoy the show. It was uh, it's like a very it's like a really unique kind of sense of humor, which I really enjoy. Like it was recommended to me by a friend um, like a year ago ish. And I watched it back then, but like rewatching it. Um, in the last like couple weeks has been really, really fun. I think it's like a very unique show and kind of like the very like deadpan way that it expresses a lot of like kind of difficult topics. And it's also just very funny. Absolutely. That was kind of the next question is what, what makes it unique. And it is the deadpan humor. Is it, That's a huge part of it. I wanted to ask about the first scene particularly, which is, you know, a hookup with anal sex. Why do you think, how does that make you feel that that is like the first scene? What do you think that portrays to the audience? Yeah. I think it definitely sets Fleabag up as a bit of like a sexually liberated, like, you know, modern woman taking on the world. But it also like the fact that she is talking about like how she lied to this guy about just getting in and how she's actually like, you know, in bed. It does show like kind of the way that she's also just like a vulnerable person and how she's using, like how sex to her is kind of like separate from her actual life almost. I think that's a very interesting way to phrase it, that it's separate from her life. One of the kind of main things that I think seems to be going on throughout Fleabag is that intimacy and sex are very separate. Do you think there's moments when they're they overlap or intimacy and sex kind of come the closest? Um yeah, I think that there are like a couple of moments where intimacy and sex overlap, but I think the main focus of the show is like has them very very separate and very distinct. There's that moment um in like the first or second episode where Fleabag and Harry are like snuggling together in bed and Fleabag starts masturbating to an Obama speech. Yeah, which I think is just like very funny because it, it's just like so separated. Like she's having this very intimate moment with her boyfriend at the time, and then she's also like totally uh, like mentally separated from that and like you know masturbating to Obama. <laughs> to Obama, <laughs> I personally think the relationship to Harry is very interesting. How would you classify? him as a character or as an archetype does he seem familiar to you have you met a harry have you been around harry's oh man i i have i feel like i have met a harry or at least i feel like i've met a harry <laughs> like i just keep flashing to the scene of him crying as he's scrubbing the floor <laughs> yes apartment the first time I watched it through, I was like, oh, that's very funny. Like, Harry's very clearly, like, you know, always so sad about breaking up with her. But then I kind of realized on the second watch through that it's not really, it's, that's how Fleabag thinks of Harry. 
that kind of comes around in like this exhibition episode where Harry's like very clearly moved on and just like not interested in, in Fleabag anymore. I, I did like, I thought it was like a very compelling character and the way that he like kept on, you know, their on again, off again relationship was uh, like, you know, it's familiar to me. Her perceiving him as like this kind of like weak, like weaker guy, I think because they are intimate might also play into like kind of why I have like a weird perception of Harry. Cause I think like, yeah, the character, the person that he is and like, the perception that Fleabag has of him, I think, are, like, very separate. And we don't really realize that at first. She absolutely, I think she absolutely misconstrues him. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting that you say that because she is intimate with him, he is weak to her. Intimacy for Fleabag, I think, is, like, it seems like it's just so hard for her to engage in. And, like, I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that it is like a show that's set in like England where I know that a lot like I have English parents and so I'm very familiar with like would you that's actually because I really lack that cultural context I've been thinking about that the way she talks to her parents and the way sex and sexuality are tackled around her does that seem British to you yeah absolutely it uh yeah there are so many like little moments of uh, just like dramatic irony and like such emotional like discomfort um, that the characters are all expressing that is just like very quintessentially British and like I've had experiences growing up where like you know like my dad had moments where he was very similar to Fleabag that where he was just like so uncomfortable with showing emotion that he would just like go completely quiet and like not make eye contact and then just kind of like go you know be and safe so and then he'd like leave the room immediately <laughs> And the way these characters express intimacy to you seems to have a Britishness to it? Yeah, yeah. It seems to be, like, very, uh, not terse, but, like, restrained and, like, not wanting to, like, outwardly admit, like, intimacy and just, like, feeling very uncomfortable with, like, emotional vulnerability and intimacy and, like, uh, the way they communicate and just kind of the culture of not wanting to engage I guess in in like intimacy especially like public intimacy so going back to Fleabag's relationship with Harry the one she is intimate in who do you think has more sexual power in that relationship if at all anybody Fleabag probably has more sexual power but Harry probably has more like emotional Mm, power interesting could you define what you mean with emotional power I think Harry like is less afraid of intimacy and emotions with Fleabag. And so I think that he is less anxious almost, or like less uncomfortable Mm. with that emotionality, like that emotional aspect of their relationship and that like the intimate aspect of their relationship. And I think that, you know, that comes with a certain sense of power that, you know, he doesn't feel the need to constantly use sex as a means of communicating and solving problems in their relationship like he genuinely wants to talk about things and when that you know fleabag retreats and that makes her uncomfortable it kind of shifts the power dynamic a little bit we spend so much time laughing at harry only really when you rewatch it can you see that he has just a ton of power over her she calls him and he shows up but you know he can deny her at the same time and at the end i think when we see fleabag's you know, we learn more and more about Fleabag and he shows up at this exhibition and she throws herself at him. Suddenly the stakes are completely different and Harry kind of appears as a very different figure. Do you think that 
Fleabag in general has power or sexual power overall in the show. I I do think that Fleabag has uh, like a certain degree of sexual power because she is like, I want to say like sexually enlightened, but she is like, you know, in, in tune with her own body and like sexually empowered and like, she, you know, she's not uncomfortable discussing the act, like the physical aspect of sex but I think when it comes to the emotional aspect of sex that's where she kind of loses a degree of like sexual power the women in the show are like very very high status individuals you know that might solely come from the fact that the show is through a women like a woman's perspective and it's like a woman's like lens on life and so I think it, it you know a lot of the men do have lower status than a lot of I, a lot of the women yeah. so I think that's also Harry just the truth kind of like, matter <laughs> a lot of men just have lower status what are you gonna do about it (laughs) absolutely i would like to cover the men a little bit more just because i think you're gonna have interesting opinions in them and then talk about the women and kind of how they're portrayed in contrast i particularly find asshole guy i'm not gonna say arsehole asshole guy to be just super funny i feel like i like know this like self-obsessed shallow sad weirdo the men that she has sex with in the show in the first season how would you classify the humor that comes out of them do you find them funny talk about the performances if you would like it's completely up to you but how do you feel and think about those men i think that all three of the men show like kind of one archetype of just like the horrible men that you meet in the world you know as somebody who's been on like a lot of dating apps and i go on a lot of first dates like i feel like i've met versions or like (laughs) you know just like i've met men that kind of have like a version of these characters and their personality because the characters are absolutely just absurd exaggerations of what like real people are like and so I think watching through a lot of the comedy for me just comes from like seeing the inherent truth of like (laughs) yeah like bus rodent guy being like oh oh my gosh it's meant to be like I'll text you don't worry disgusting just like that horrific like condescending terrible like ooh, I'll treat this last to a it's just I, like I've met people like that and just like an asshole guy with his um yeah just the mo- the moment at the sex edition where he goes oh, is this what like low self-confidence feels like <laughs> or you know like whatever that line is <laughs> yeah. do you have a favorite performance out of those three characters does anybody make you laugh more than the others oh bus rodent Bus Bus Rodent is the funniest, the funniest man. What specifically makes it so, makes him so funny to you? Oh my goodness. Uh, Just, uh, you know, the complete lack of of self-awareness, first and foremost, is just... uh, A deeply male quality. Exactly, exactly. Just like the pinnacle of not realizing when somebody just like truly (laughs) doesn't like you and just continuing to dig yourself into a deeper hole. The scene in the sex shop. You should totally get one of those. A vagina? Yeah. Oh, I've already got one. Really? You ha- no. You, you, you've got one. I take it with me everywhere. But, no, you lie. You don't have one on you now. Yep. Never gonna get it. Where? Where's my vagina? Yeah. Where's my vagina? Yeah. Oh, you got me. <laughs> I don't carry a vagina around with me. <laughs> That'd be way too provocative. <laughs> Didn't get it. I think scenes like the where's my vagina scene and a few other moments that kind of repeat themselves throughout the show 
Um, I think once I mention them, you'll know what I'm getting at. In the first episode, right when she meets the bus road and she's reading a newspaper, and the newspaper heading says, headmaster assaults pupil in class, or, you know, the words my vagina bit, moments of really illustrating how much sex and sexual transgression is around us just at all times. What do you think moments like that illustrate? Um, do they add to the humor? Why are they there? Why do you think they're included? I think that it's like very subtle in the way that they're included, which I think reflects a lot of the way that like casual, like sexual, like, I don't like repression's not the right word. Mm. I, that's the thing, like, they're so, it's hard to find vocabulary because you have to experience it to be able to, like, tangibly think about it. Repression, I don't I use transgression, just, like, breaches of consent just all around you. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's reflective of the way that they appear in the real world as well, because it's, it's very seldom that just, like, someone, yeah, I guess, like, totally comes out of the open and is like, I, you know... I hate my I, I hate my body. If you would like, we could turn to the women a little bit. I think because uh, for those of you who don't know, Charlotte's a comedian. Charlotte is an incredibly funny improviser and thinks about comedy a lot and has very good comedic timing and comedic instinct. So I wanted to ask you if you think that the humor that derives from the men and the humor that derives from the women in the show is different or if it's similar or how that overlaps. It feels a little bit like it's playing with the concept of punching up versus punching down a little mm, bit. Okay. Like it, uh, the way that humor for the men kind of goes, it feels like, you know, the perspective is one of punching up being like, oh, you know, these are people who are of power and of privilege and therefore like we can make jokes at their expense and we can make jokes to kind of like bring them down a level almost so that it's easier to have a, a discourse about them. Whereas for the women, I think it's like, it feels a little bit more like punching down mm. um, where, you know, there are less jokes that are made at the woman women's expense. And it's a lot more like situational. It has more to do with like their emotional experience of the world. And like, I think it's more laughing at the situation that it's placed that the women are placed in. Whereas the humor of the men feels a lot just like pointing and laughing at aspects of different male interactions yeah male interactions i was gonna say fragility but interactions is the truth of the matter and then you know you have fleabag letting you in on the secret at every turn and you're like ugh, thank you i also think this is funny yes thank you it's like the turning to the camera in the office style like can you believe this shit (laughs) um do you have a favorite performance among the women Oh, among the women, I, you know, obviously I'm like very compelled by Fleabag because she Mm. is uh, the main character, but I also really, really love the performance of Boo. My neighbor is really fit. Which one? The fit one. The one with the sexy big belly? No, no, he's the other neighbor. He's like, he's like, okay, I'm going to hold his face in my head so you can see him. I think that she's played in like such um, like an innocent and honest kind of and like very profound way. I'm not getting anything to make your faces fade. Yeah, okay. Like even though we see like very short 
snippets of Fleabag and Boo's interactions. Like every interaction with Boo, there's like kind of this like deep emote, like sense of being in touch with her emotions and feeling a lot more than I think any of the other women in the show. I'm like very mm. compelled by her performance. Very rarely do you get a genuinely kind of like weird female character that doesn't feel over the top or like a male fantasy or annoying she's so like genuine in her own weirdness and you can really understand what Fleabag lost you understand how much she lost an emotional counterpart the way that they counterbalanced each other with like mm. you know with Boo being there to help Fleabag like almost emotionally regulate like the scene where where Fleabag storms into her apartment She's your sister. It's your job to annoy her. No, no, I'm just so annoyed with myself. I wish I could just meet myself and just have a go at myself. Boo just immediately is like, here, I'll do it for Like, here, I'll help you, like, figure out these emotions. I'll help you tease apart these emotions. Do your worst. <laughs> Come on, bitch! You don't take yourself seriously. Oh, per se. You need to reach out to your family. You need to stop provoking your sister, just grow up. You do not take yourself seriously as a businesswoman. You need to pay your fucking bills. You need to be nicer to Hillary. You need to get a new hat. Is that better? Yeah, that's good. Even though looking back, like, it is very clearly, like, Boo seen, um, Fleabag seen Boo through, like, kind of a rose-colored lens. Like, just the performance of the characters, like, just... In kind of a show where everyone's a little bit terrible, mm. Boo is like the one character that doesn't really seem to have a moment of her being like truly like a quote unquote bad person. Yeah, or she doesn't let her emotions out on the people around her as opposed to the godmother who I personally, she is my like favorite comedic performance of the show. It's just an astounding amount of power just portrayed through this like you know like older woman why do you think godmother treats fleabag the way she does you know fleabag is still like very like she reminds uh the godmother of her mother a lot because like there's mm. a reason that you know the godmother was their godmother it's because you know they were she was very close with um like claire and fleabag's mother um so it could like, it could be because Fleabag reminds her of, you know, their mother and, you know, she feels a little bit threatened by that. It could also be because Fleabag herself is, like, open and in tune with her sexuality and that might be inherently threatening to somebody who is using their sexuality as, like, a source of power. Absolutely. I, I would really agree with that. I haven't really thought about... Fleabag as reminding the godmother of the mother but I think that's completely real and you have all these hints of that throughout the show one of them being the wake for the mother where you realize kind of what everyone's lost and the godmother of course gives the dig of when you've had a few you know you remind me so much of her so I think that's absolutely valid I also think the sexual power dynamics again come into play I think those two are the only characters who are on the same wavelength and seem to be very good at speaking to each other in these like veiled manners where it's very clear what they're saying to each other but everyone around them seems to not be there yet or not on their level uh, specifically at the sex exhibition with you know where she kind of does this weird power play of 
can you tell which dick is your father's? And Fleabag points at it and she's disturbed. And it's all these like moments where sex and family kind of get mixed within the show and by the interactions of the two of them. So I do think that sexual power there plays a really big part of her antagonism towards her. But, you know, and she also, she just really favors Claire, which, you know, why do you think that is? Or Claire in general, if you want to talk about her, she's so fun. I feel like I know a lot of Claire's specifically, a lot of anxious queens. <laughs> yeah, Claire, Claire is, is big anxious queen energy. As a fellow anxious queen, it <laughs> right? is very relatable character um claire seems to counter fleabag in a really interesting way of just being so like against antagonism almost and just like so willing to kind of take her own emotions and her own feelings and kind of chuck them on the back burner and be like anything to make this interaction as easy as possible for the maximum number of people involved. Like, let's just do that. Anxious um, queen. <laughs> anxious queen. Which, like, I could, I really reflect with. I find myself doing the same thing, shutting down my own opinions about things for a little bit, and just being like, just let it be over. Like, this, let's, let's just fight through this little interaction, and then later, like, I can release all of these emotions onto somebody else. Uh, what do you make of her relationship with Martin and their whole marriage and her decision to go to Finland? Uh, how do you feel? What do you think about her story arc? Her relationship with Martin is kind of one of the more, I think, it's one of the issues in the show that kind of is left mostly like to... Um, like, kind of secondary, like, subtle interpretations rather than, like, direct, like, this is why Claire likes Martin. Mm. Um, because, like, I, you know, Fleabag has such a disdain for Martin that, you know, their relationship is never shown in, like, kind of a kind and honest way. It's always shown um, as, like, this weird, like, uncomfortable dynamic with, like, this, like, drunk and overly gregarious American... Yeah, I think it's very like, funny that he's well. American. I think that's an amazing, <laughs> I think that's a hilarious thing to have done. It's such an excellent choice because no British person <laughs> would act like that. <laughs> Not a chance. They would get deported. <laughs> Where? I don't know, but they would get, the Queen would decree that they be thrown into the channel. That's how America originally happened. They were like, <laughs> get over there. Get out. He does seem to get along with Fleabag, though. They have a camaraderie, almost, I would say, at least. They do up until uh, Claire's party, um, obviously. Yeah, in, like, in, the, in the party episode when they are kind of shopping for Claire's present, it is really obvious that like Martin does genuinely want to like give Claire something that she likes and you know, make her happy, probably because Claire is just, like, so, you know, she's so particular, and, mm. like, again, anxious queen vibes, just, like, likes to control everything, because when she does it, she knows it'll be done the way that she wants it to be done, and it seems a little bit like Martin kind of knows Claire emotionally, but doesn't know her as, like, a, like a three-dimensional person. 
and he's a three-dimensional person interesting interesting way to phrase it hey hey, some sometimes sometimes i can combine words in a unique and fun way that (laughs) you've been doing it for like half an hour hey yeah but uh slayback's relationship with martin they both do have like a very like wry sense of humor and I think they bond over that quite a bit mm. but I think maybe Fleabag the reason she like the reason she doesn't like Martin so much is because she does see part like the uglier parts of herself in him especially like the way that the show touches on like alcohol as like a substance mm. of like as a substance that kind of removes that social barrier it's just like very very interesting between like Martin being this like drunk horrible monster who for some reason like people you know still like and they like to be around and the way that there's so much emphasis on like the glasses of wine in the scene where it reveals that Fleabag slept with Boo's boyfriend like you know the the when you drink you're so much like your mother Fleabag shotgunning champagne in the back like the relationships between the characters and alcohol I think is is super super compelling in the story because it's something that like is hard to address directly without feeling like preachy absolutely I have actually never made that connection before but now I'm thinking about all of the instances of drinking or even in the very first scene where she meets up with asshole guys she chugs half a bottle of wine to sleep with him in the first episode where there's a drunk woman like a really a young girl like I'm assuming she's around our age at that point that is very drunk on the sidewalk and her whole breast is out of her shirt and Fleabag like helps her out and gets her into a cab. Like there are so many nuances of drinking around, around the show the whole time. Oh, Fleabag. Oh, wow. When it gets real, this is like a whole new Fleabag. (laughs) But (laughs) the bridge has a knack for just, pointing out just how power dynamics and sexual power dynamics play out throughout society and what where they show up and where they don't yeah absolutely there there are so many very unique instances of like you know very subtle power shifts that have such like an emotional gravity like later in in the later in the show or later in you know certain scenes um the bus rodent uh, like sexually rejects Claire at the restaurant I thought was like mm-hmm. just this like very very like compelling power dynamic shift because it was like you know the the bus rodent kind of sexually rejected Fleabag and she just immediately like lashed out at him like I have a question about that scene and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it when he rejects her right before she steals money from him right after right after she steals the money from him do you think she's seeing sex as payment she definitely i think uses sex as currency as kind of like Mm. not a means to an end but like she does she does use sex as kind of like a bargaining chip almost in a lot of her in a lot of her relationships with men but yeah i think she probably she does seem a little bit like expectant that she she walks into that date entirely expectant that she's you know going to have sex that night um so i think like you know when when she steals the money from him and then you know and then he gives her 
his own money. I know. That's She's probably seeing that as, like, retribution, almost. It's like, well, yeah, you know, you've wasted my time, so, like, yeah, I'll take your, like, 20 pounds or 50 pounds or whatever it was. Yeah. But also, again, like, on Phoebe Waller-Bridge's part, what an excellent little flipping the script thing. And I like what you said about, you know, pointing out that she uses sexist currency, and it really, those two are so conflated in that moment because there's actual money being exchanged. I just, I just think she's such a genius. To me, one of the most interesting and central relationships in the show is with the bank manager. And I wanted to, mm. you know, what do you think about his relationship to Fleabag and why he's in the show and just about him in general? Because I think he's just an interesting aspect to include. You don't realize, I don't think, like, I realized it until, like, the scene at the silent retreat where, you know, they were, like, smoking together. But he kind of serves almost as, like, this cautionary figure to Mm -hmm. Fleabag to be like, this is what using sex for personal gain can do to you. Like, this is what, like, in, like, removing the intimacy and the emotional aspect of sex you know can do he talks about like how it's destroyed his life and his marriage and he you know can't see his kids and just like you know all of the negative ways that sex has impacted his life and I think it's almost meant to serve as like a like a cautionary tale for Fleabag to be like like you have to be careful because sex has consequences that go far beyond the physical I like the I haven't really thought of him as a cautionary figure before but that's completely true what happened to him, you know, he molested someone and now he's lost his job and his marriage. And what Fleabag did, her like consequences to sex are hidden and are in the dark. And even we don't even know what she's done at this point. Um, I also, you know, like that in the end, he's the one who helps her. Yeah, it's such a like, just like the way that he does like keep coming back. And in the end, he like is one of the last people to show, like, compassion to Fleabag, like, especially when she's, like, you know, she's about to take her own life. And, like, you know, when he stops and he shows compassion and he's kind of the person who, like, comes to her aid at the end, it's, like, it's such a, it's such, like, a, like, like, a heartwarming moment, almost. But, like, it is, it's very interesting that, you know, they're, they, you know, he, they had such a negative relationship kind of in the first episode and you think like oh god what a tool like what a dickhead and then you know we find out more about him at the silent retreat and then finally like in the end when he like sits down at her cafe and it's like people make mistakes it's like it's kind of like a very it's an interesting reminder of like how we've seen so many of the characters in the show change so much over the course of the season and there's like only six episodes So it's, like, such a short, like, it's six episodes of 20 minutes long, so there's, like, not genuinely that much time to, like, watch the characters go through these, like, crazy development arcs. But I think he serves as, like, a very interesting figure to be, like, people, like, yeah, people do make mistakes. People have been making mistakes the entire show. I also think it's just, like, an interesting and brave take to be, like, this man molested a coworker, and he feels genuine remorse and genuinely, like learns from his mistakes these sexual power dynamics and all of this like sexual confusion affects everyone it comes from every angle it comes it's two men from men by women to women you know it like is really it really is all over the place in Fleabag 
Um, additionally, one thing I like about the relationship is that he's the first character to call her a slut. And she mm. calls him a perv immediately. And it's very funny. But behind that humor, I think the fact that the slut label keeps getting repeated is telling. Um, why do you think slut keeps coming up? Or, you know, again, the hilarious men's retreat where they're yelling slut. <laughs> what I wouldn't give to go on a retreat where I could just scream expletives about men. What I wouldn't pay <laughs> hundreds of dollars I would give if I could go into the middle of the countryside yeah. and, uh, and scream expletives. Just do it. Go into Pacific Spirit Park. It's time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the men's retreat is just like it's such a it's such a it's such a funny scene because you are genuinely seeing like the worst aspects of male sexuality just like out in the like uh when she when she shows up to the men's retreat initially and the facilitator's like you have to leave you have to get out of here so scared of her they're terrified of her the use of the label of slut is like it's an interesting like drumbeat almost yeah yeah because i think it, it comes up often enough that like it's just like this constant reminder that women get given a lot more labels based off of their sexual behaviors than men do and mm -hmm. a lot more negative labels than men do and it's like kind of coming back to just like it's it's an inherently like derogatory and like power reducing term and so I think it like kind of almost serves as like a counterweight to like all of the um, power that comes from like sexual behavior in Fleabag. It's like, you know, because, you know, between like the sex exhibition and, and Fleabag's relationships with men, like there's just like a lot of like moments of like, yeah, you go girl, you get it. And then to like kind of always be like sobered back up to be like, no, like, you know, she's a slut. Like you're a slut. Everyone's a slut. We're all sluts. Like here. It, it just, yeah. So I think it's, I think it's um, kind of like an interesting like reminder of the way that society kind of treats sexually empowered women as well. For sure. And it does show up all the time. And in the end, the reason Claire doesn't believe Fleabag that Martin kissed her is because of her previous sexual relationships. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it has a really direct impact in the running time of the show. And that was just like such a such that the scene where where Claire like doesn't believe Fleabag is such a jarring scene as well. Like it, like it's definitely contributed to by like the music and the camera work, but it's like just like such a um, such like this like horrible jarring. Like you can feel like the panic and like the like distress like setting into Fleabag as she begins to realize like her actions have a genuine consequences and they will continue to have genuine consequences beyond anything that she could have imagined like you know yeah the when she when she slept with that guy she couldn't have imagined that like it would lead to the death of her best friend and like a the deterioration of her relationship with her sister yeah why do you think Fleabag slept with Boo's boyfriend on one hand it's you know it's something that's forbidden it's something that's like mm. you know you're you're not supposed to do. you're not supposed to sleep with 
shockingly, <laughs> you're not supposed to sleep with your best friend's boyfriend. What? Since when? Yeah. Who? So, like, a little bit is probably, like, that, you know, forbidden fruit, like, mm. temptation um, and, like, you know, wanting to engage in, like, you know, uh, behaviors that are, like, that are, like, bad and, you know, just, like, morally kind of repugnant and, like, giving into your own sexual desires versus, like, your morality and how, like, those play together. Um, but it also genuinely might have been a little bit of, you know, Fleabag not wanting to, like, Fleabag trying to sabotage Boo's relationship with this guy because she didn't want to share Boo with anybody. Like, I think that's also, you know, because, like, I've, I've also felt jealousy, like, watching some of my friends, like, get boyfriends. And, you know, then I, you know, rather than... Yeah, like rather than seeing my friends, you know, a couple days a week, it's like every other week, maybe just because they're like, you know, they devoted so much more of their time to like this new relationship. And, and so it could have been like a subconscious effort to sabotage. You know, and it's the kind of thing where so many dramas, like so many teen dramas have that as their like central plot where this happens and it happens every season several times. And Fleabag takes it to the extreme and kind of never lets it's not about what happens to the relationship afterwards it just ends and she never gets to work through it it's just over uh, the grief in the show I also think is one of those things that I'm not like adult enough to fully realize yet how much grief there is just all around mm -hmm. I feel like I haven't gone through that much grief for it to like translate to me a bigger kind of not maybe not conceptual question but in an interview with Vogue, Phoebe Waller-Bridge said that Fleabag was inspired by the cynicism she felt in her 20s. Would you say it aligns with your cynicism that you're feeling in your 20s? Oh, man. Yeah, I didn't realize that, like, 20 is when all of your dreams died all of a sudden. I know, so quickly, too. Just immediately. Right? Like, I was 18 and ready to destroy the world and, like, conquer everything and... And then, you know, you hit 20 and you begin to realize, like, oh, no, you you feel this insecure forever. <laughs> like, oh, there's no, like, magic switch where all of a sudden you feel responsible and, like, an adult. Like, and so I think that, like, kind of as you go through your 20s, you start, like, kind of the pixie dust of the adult world kind of falls away and you're kind of left to be like, oh, like, shit, like, I guess I gotta, like... Deal. figure out how yeah. to navigate yeah I guess I guess I have to deal and like shitty stuff happens in your like a lot of you you face a lot of like shitty things that have never happened to you in your life for the first time when you're in mm. your 20s and when you face something like terrible for the first time it always feels like it's the worst because you have no precedent to base it off of it's like you know like the first guy that like ghosts you and doesn't text you back and like your your first like true like friendship ending argument and like things like that where you just begin to realize that like the world isn't as rosy and happy as it was when you were in high school for sure it's like things take money and time to do you're not gonna be good at everything love yeah. is not around the corner it 
we'll see we'll see if you get to it exactly if you fail no one's gonna catch you anymore loneliness compounds if you're lonely you're gonna get more lonely that you can't reach a threshold you can only get more lonely (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so it definitely does like there is a lot of cynicism i think that you develop in your 20s thanks phoebe for showing it to us um i wanted to ask you as well as uh about one of the monologues one of the first monologues that phoebe waller bridge gives on the toilet as fleabag And she says, I'm not obsessed with sex. I just can't stop thinking about it. The performance of it, the awkwardness of it, the drama of it. The moment you realize somebody wants your body, not so much the feeling of it. Um, I personally find that monologue to be a thesis for the show. What what do you think about it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It definitely, I really like the way that you put that, like the thesis of the show, because it does like, it 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 keeps coming back over and over and over again. And like we, it's really interesting that we see Fleabag having sex so much in the show, but we never see her climax. Yeah, I, Tegan said that as well. And I never caught that. Absolutely. We never see her come. And now that somebody has pointed it out to me, it just seems so important. (laughs) Yeah. Like we just see men like rolling off of her and then she like breaks into like, you know, a, a, a deadpan joke or a um, you know, a monologue, but, and, you know, she never really seems to be enjoying it either. She's always like, you know, very dead, like kind of rolling her eyes. And then, you know, she turns back to face the guy and is like, oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> and she turns back around and is like, this is the worst experience. Uh, my, um, my favorite sex scene of the whole thing is where she's smugly looking at the camera and this really old guy is sleeping with her going, you're so young. You're so young. And she's like, (laughs) (laughs) right? And like, it's really interesting the way that like men seem to always be like complimenting Fleabag on the thing that they're super in, like their perception of like what makes her beautiful. So like, you know, the old guy being like, "You're so young," and like asshole guy being like, "Oh, your boobs are so small." It's, it's like they're only seeing her as beautiful, like, in the parts that they think are hot, and they're not seeing her as, like, a fully realized person. Absolutely. And I think, you know, Fleabag treats her own body as, like, a sum of its parts. She's not very kind to it. it I, think, I think there's yeah. a good effect to how she, you know, treats herself. Yeah, and like the way that she values her, and like in the in the feminist lecture when she and Claire are like, yeah, I'd give up five years of my life to have the ideal body, like just like inherently being like, fuck it, like you know, <laughs> this flesh prison is a flesh prison, and so if I'm in this flesh prison for longer, but it looks better and it's easier for society to like accommodate me, then power on. Absolutely, and. You know, she is, the character is older than us. I don't know quite how old Fleabag's supposed to be. I'm assuming either late 20s or early 30s. Uh, When Martin tells her she's tipping her prime, that's like a Mm. really like, ooh, like, that's gonna, (gasps) I guess people are gonna start saying that to us at some point. It's gonna become, you know, the meat market is gonna set in. I don't know. Yeah. 
or another scene at the end where she says, you know, when this body isn't young anymore, I might as well just kill it. What's the point? Yeah. God, like what a, what a powerful like moment. Because I think like a lot of women, like don't take it to that extreme. Some do, but uh, a lot of women just like do concern themselves with like how their body looks and is presented as valued by external factors. Mm. And, you know, I think struggle, a lot of like women, especially like as they're going into like their thirties and forties begin to struggle with like finding ways to value themselves that aren't like entirely based on sex. And I'm sure like, you know, I'm going to have a lot better insights into this when I'm not 22, you know, I, I yeah. would like to have lived a little before making that call. Yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly but like it is it is daunting even to think like for myself like yeah when I when are men gonna stop wanting to like use me for my body what's the point um specifically now because we're in the pandemic as well I'm like we're 22 we're wasting like a prime year we're told over and over again that like from like 20 to 25 that's your window that's when you're attractive. And afterwards, who's to say? Who's to say if you're exactly. attractive? You're slowly decaying. Exactly. So I feel like I have to cryogenically freeze myself to preserve myself because I feel like I can't use my body properly for a year. It doesn't matter how attractive it is. Wasted yeah. year. Absolutely. Why do I have that perception? That's like, it's my body. It's for me to live in and be. Yeah. And the fact that like, you know, our bodies aren't being perceived, I think. It's is, very hard is, not to be perceived. I want to be perceived. Exactly. I want, I want people to like, as shallow as like, I want people to want me. Absolutely. Yes. Everyone, you know, and then the godmother, she at when she they're all at dinner together about the sex exhibition when asshole guy comes around and she says you know all people want is to be loved and to be touched and she has this like really biting you know show-offy monologue about all the things she has you know she just wants you know everyone wants these very simple things that she just has and they're just wrecking such havoc in Fleabag's life you know a powerful mm -hmm. reminder of that is kind of all people want at least i i think so yeah yeah absolutely like man it's been hard to not have been touched for five months i know ah! it, i think it like genuinely just recontextualizes fleabag because i you know you and i we're in the same friend group we see our friends a lot we go out a lot and now Fleabag as this like intensely lonely character you I relate to her way more I'm like wow like she has no one to talk to she just is just by herself and nobody will touch her and when the doctor Doug gives her a mammogram and she goes it's nice to be touched Woo! <laughs> too real <laughs> <laughs> another thing I wanted to ask about this exhibition because we've kind of circled around it but not really talked about it when the godmother again says it's about power. I personally read that as Phoebe Waller-Bridge speaking directly about the show and sex and being like, this is about power. Like, that's what this is about. Um, would you agree with that, that it's a power play? 
yeah yeah i think sex is very related to power like even the words that we use to describe it like on top and on bottom like you know like he came on to me like you know kind of like the the language that we use about it it's all about like kind of the give and take of power like the act of sex itself is like a lot of constantly negotiating like power and consent and like and that can have more explicit sexual connotations of like somebody being more dominant somebody being more submissive that can be less explicit that can just like be expected it's all over the place Exactly. And then there are like this kind of like very subtle power dynamics of like who texts who first, who mm-hmm. like, you know, who, who, who ghosts who at the end of the day, who pays for dinner, like all of these kind of like interactions, like both leading up to sex and sex itself. It, it is about power and it has been about power for a long time. And like, you know, the, like repression of reproductive rights for women um a lot of the time does come back to like power and feeling the need to impose one's morals upon another um and like control people's sexual behaviors so like yeah i totally agree i just that's i think what makes the show so good is because I think we're all at least subconsciously aware of it but Phoebe Waller-Bridge does not shy away from showing it and saying it and letting us know and being like this is all about power pretending that it that it isn't is garbage you know the bank manager loses power through sexual transgression she loses power because Martin kisses her it's she loses power that's what happens she didn't consent to it and she loses power. You know, she has sex with Boo's boyfriend and like exercises sexual power like that. And it like completely leads to a complete loss of power. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the dynamics are just like, they're, they're so fun to like watch and engage. And like, you know, as someone who's like, you know, I, I know kind of the language of, like, power and status through improv, because that's mm. kind of, like, you know, the, the only real experience of, like, comedy and media it's, I really think it's, that I have. I really think it's a lens. I think it's a very good lens to view comedy through, because we're constantly coming up with scenes and just constantly being like, okay, how do we change this? How do we change the power? So I think it makes us, it makes it easier to see when we do see it. Yeah, yeah. So like so watching certain scenes like the um like at the memorial for for the mother, just like watching the power dynamics like subtly shift and being like, oh shit, like here it goes. You know, here like, oh, like Fleabag just took power from Claire and then Claire reexerted power over Fleabag and then the godmother reexerted power over. Like it's just it's so it's so fun to watch kind of those like dynamic shift and change um throughout the show as a parting question who do you think is the most high status character in the show and where do you think Fleabag fits I think that um the godmother I think is the highest status character in the show because I think at every turn she refuses to yield her status 
to anybody and like when her status is challenged by you know Fleabag she like lashes out and like very quickly like you know either prevents Fleabag from overtaking her in status or like you know tries to make sure that they're as close to equal as possible but with her trying to always come out on top and have the last word and you know be in you know the right I thought it was like very compelling when she like when she started like quivering her upper lip and like crying to Fleabag's father at this exhibition after Fleabag like chucked all of the champagne on the floor Mm. because she's like using her emotions to have someone else like confront a problem for her which is a Mm -hmm. huge power play so I think she like and and you know her relationship with sex I think plays into a lot of that power because she's just like so unflinchingly like unapologetic about her own sexuality um in kind of like a more mature way than Fleabag is and like a little bit less of a like chaotic kind of way um than Fleabag I think Fleabag is a higher status character in the show but I Mm -hmm. don't think she's not the highest status I think that she you know between all of the like interactions that she has with men and just like feeling like every man that she interacts with kind of takes a piece of her away with him Mm. um by the end of the show she you know she starts the show as quite a high status character but then it kind of almost feels like she's taken down episode by episode until you know the final scene where she's just like so low status um it's like a very interesting like degradation of power to watch um and yeah, especially the sex edition is just like such a huge like undermining of her her entire status. Mm. And um, yeah, so I think I think Fleabag's status kind of flows throughout the show, whereas the stepmother just like is this unyielding like <laughs> high status, high power force. Uh, do you think Fleabag confuses humor for status? I think she uses humor as a way to kind of like mediate her changes in status or like kind of soften them a little bit more and I think to her she uses humor as a means to gain status but I don't know if she confuses humor for status Mm. I guess now that I'm thinking about it yeah like it is it is a little bit of the um the needing to get like a last word in it's kind of the same like vibe that I as as I understand it um but yeah I think she uses humor to gain power but I don't know if she completely like interchanges humor Mm. for power because I think you know she begins to realize that humor doesn't always like humor doesn't always suffice like sometimes people are just straight up like are imposing their will upon you totally you can't like joke your way out of it totally I think a telling scene that illustrates that is when Martin kisses her and she looks at the camera, like, angrily, and she cannot say anything. She does not joke about it. She leaves. Mm-hmm. Nothing to be said. Yeah. You, you, you can't make a joke about... Like, sometimes things are so horrible, you can't joke about them. Absolutely. Or, you know, comedy is tragedy plus time, and sometimes there just isn't enough time. Absolutely. Any final remarks or thoughts that you wanted to share about Fleabag? Anything that you feel like you didn't get to talk about? Um, no, I don't think so. You, you know, you, you covered, I think, all the bases. 
No, you covered all the bases, Charlotte. You covered all the bases. No, we covered all the bases. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. I'm going to end the interview on the Zencaster call, but we'll stay on the Zoom call if that's okay. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for all of your insight, for being a part of the Fleabag Research Project, episode three. Um, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. <laughs>